When I was a um, kid, spending my holidays on the farm in central North Island, one of my favourite jobs was feeding the chooks. And I usually did this just before we geared up for dinner. Now the chooks knew this, and they'd be jockeying for position amongst themselves to get nearest the gate. And when I say jockeying, that means they're picking each other and squawking and making quite a noise. They could get pretty aggressive about the whole thing. And when they saw me approaching with a bowl of grain, the whole lot of them would go nuts. And before I opened the gate, I needed typically to grab a bit of seed and chuck it through so I could actually get into the field where they were. Today's text is a bit like that. Have a listen. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honour. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. You keeping up? Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and, and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Deep breath. It's a bit of a mixed and big bag, isn't it? I can hear a few things in there that sound a bit like some of Jesus' sayings from the Sermon on the Mount. And the stuff on love sounds a bit like 1 Corinthians 13. Now preachers like me are always looking for some sort of spine or framework to hang things on, to give what is said a context and to reveal the underlying purpose. And try as I might, I cannot see it. I can't give you three words that all begin with P or some sort of acrostic or one of those weird things. Because I think... This is a rant. Who here does rants? You know, you're talking to your teenager, teenage kid. Pull your socks up, boy. Tuck your shirt and take that smirk off your face and go apologise to your mother. And no, you cannot get a tattoo. That's a rant. There's all sorts of stuff in there. There's no logical flow that I can see sorry about the tattoo, that I can see in this. And the funny thing is that moral rants like this are quite common in ancient Near East literature. And they often draw on a whole lot of different sources. This isn't an unusual form. So what I propose to do is just go through it bit by bit and suggest to you, just listen to something that might be relevant for you. 
that will be your seed to munch on. While someone else can have the other stuff that doesn't land on you. Let's pray. Gracious God, we pray that you would meet us where we are at this morning. Please give us something to take into our week to chew on. Amen. Now the danger of a whole lot of do's and don'ts is it becomes a sort of stick to beat yourself with. You know, I, I know I need to be more patient, so I'll just have to try harder. I am to patience what Napoleon was to world peace. I have a mate uh, who in his younger days used to come along to our cell group and he'd say things like, look, I, I feel like the Lord is telling me to be kinder, so that's what I'm going to be now. I'm going to be kind. And as sympathetic, encouraging friends, we would all fall about laughing. And these resolutions became known as Brian's personality surgery, this week's project. We were tough. Brian had missed the point a little bit. That we live as, when we live as Christians, we live in the power and the fullness of God's Spirit. And I think that these verses in Romans 12 are supposed to give us some idea of what godly living would look like. They are not Christian laws, a la the Ten Commandments, version 2.0, better and souped up. A better rule book. No. In the words of Romans 12, 1 to 2 that we looked at last week, and that sort of flow through all of these chapters, I think, from here on, if we did have transformed minds and were not moulded by our culture, well, these are the things that you might see. This is what being a living sacrifice would look like. So anyway, starting at the beginning, verse 9 says that love needs to be genuine, you know, real, sincere. And in their context, that's an interesting thing to say because all their relationships were determined by status. At the bottom were slaves who were property. Next up, servants who weren't that different from slaves really, very strongly tied to the employers and would often live in the household. And then there were free people who made their own way, but they were often beholden to a local um, big fish, their patron, and so on up. And so your rights and your freedoms were largely dependent on where you were in the social hierarchy and the attitude of the person that you were beholden to. And so into that very... Um, I don't know, the nearest thing I think to is perhaps feudal England or the caste system of India, a very structured, very hierarchical system. Paul says, don't just do your social duty. Act towards others out of sincere love. So masters, treat your slaves with love and slaves serve your masters accordingly. A maturing Christian will be a good employee, a caring employer, an honouring child, a caring parent, and so on. There doesn't seem to be a lot of room for being two-faced. You know, nice when I'm with you, but not so good when you're not around. 
Sylvester Stallone, that, that modern prophet, said once in an interview that a friend in Hollywood was someone who stabbed you in the chest. Great line. Maybe that is what a Christian friend is too. Someone who will say the hard things to us face to face. Verse 10 says that maturing Christians will be mutually affectionate towards and honouring of each other. The other day I ran into um, an old mate from Island Baptist, my previous church, who I haven't seen for some years, and it was just lovely. It was so good to see her. There was real mutual affection, made my day. However, in my observation at least, I don't think churches, and this church is no exception, are characterised by strong friendships. I was chatting the other day to a church person who's much loved here because she's a good listener. But her comment was, as soon as I want to talk about what's going on for me, people shut down and move on. Ouch. Friendship is a two-way street. We've got to be looking out for the other as well as for ourselves. Honouring's a challenge. It's a real challenge. We have three other churches that meet here, Filipino, Samoan, and South African. I don't find that easy, and I don't think they do either. But we do the best we can to relate well. Please pray for us. But one of the most dishonouring things that we can do to each other is to gossip about one another. Hearing the latest, we assume the worst about someone when we've really, we've heard one side of the story. It's invariably at least incomplete and frequently quite self-serving. I met someone a while back who asked what I did and when I told them that I was the pastor of Opawa Baptist, they said, oh, I know someone who was kicked out of your church a few years ago. I thought for a moment, I said, no, you don't. That might be what's been said, but it isn't true. We should call each other out more than we do. Why are you telling me that? I can't really be part of the solution for that. And if they say, oh, for prayer, doesn't cut it for my money. Paul said further on, do not lag in zeal, but be ardent in spirit. What really floats your boat? What are you passionate about? Do you know? I think we need to have that self-awareness about what our happy place is and then to fan that flame. I think duty calls are just destructive of our flourishing. If you don't want to come up here and play the recorder, that's fine. Just say that if you're asked. If you don't want to look after the kids, just say that. Focusing on what we might contribute, though, will help keep our world at bay, which tells us subtly, I think, that we should look after number one and that people with ideals, well, they're just do-gooders. We need more do-gooders. need more people who contribute, who look for others. Verse 12 says, Rejoice in hope, be patient in suffering, and persevere in prayer. 
Well, a couple of thoughts. I think hope is critical. What do you see when you look ahead? Probably key for you, Jeff, at 53 to be considering that. What do you see when you look ahead? You, along with all of us who follow him, will see the Lord face to face and live in the shadow of his love and his mercy. I think having that foundational attitude may also make suffering easier to bear and encourage us to pray. Don't know what we do with patience, I haven't solved that one. Share what we have and show each other hospitality. Church ministry for me is the coming together of money, prayer and time these days. Money is probably the one of those three that causes us the most anxiety. And what the best thing I can say about that is when we give, we should just let the money go. Trust whoever or whatever organisation we're giving it to that they know what they're doing. A mate of mine used to run the Delta um, Trust at North Avon. It's a community services trust. I said, what do you want from your funders? And he said, we want a relationship with them. We want them to commit to fund for longer than a year and to trust us with untagged money. Don't have all these conditions and all these projects. Just let us do what we do. I'm not sure if I've told this story, but have I told you the story about the church that Lotto built? Oh, I see one hand. Okay. That's only one person can remember it. That's all right then. Um, Anyway, the church that Lotto built, it's in Auckland. And this church family won big in Lotto, seven figures. And they put a substantial amount of money into the building fund. So it went from, I don't know, say 100,000 to one and a half million overnight. And they built themselves a new auditorium. Marvellous. Except they're now royalty in that church. You can't do anything without their tick because the gift came with strings. We need to give and let it go. Hospitality, I think, is um, sadly a bit of a dying art. Uh, And I recall back in the 1980s when I'd first become a Christian and I was sitting in this Baptist church and our pastor in the middle of a sermon said, right, hospitality is really important. We should all invite each other back to lunch and I'm going to stop my sermon now and let you do that. (laughs) And the guy next to me looked so uncomfortable. I can't get over it how uncomfortable he looked. He started to sort of get out his invite and said, oh, look, yeah, mate, oh, look, I've got to go somewhere else. I can't, I can't come. And he cheered up hugely when I said that. <laughs> if church is to be meaningful, though, we need life outside the doors together as well as within them. Celebrating and crying together, which I mentioned in um, verse 15. Yeah, hang on, whoops, chooks. More chooks. Verse 15 will not happen if we are not sharing our lives together. Which is one reason why those smaller group connections are so critical. And at the moment I'm trying to um, pull together a new small group. So if you're up for that, please do let me know. How are you doing so far? Has there been something that you can take away and mull on? Have you received a dig in your ribs from your spouse? Mm. 
or from HQ above? Well, verse 14 to 21 sort of has the flavour of relationships with folk outside the church to some extent. So let's continue chucking out seeds. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. That's not, do not be proud. But associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil. As we mature in Christ, we will be increasingly marked by a humble and a peaceable attitude to others, despite how they might treat us. This is the fruit of a mind renewed by the Spirit of God. Now there's a real Jesus-y flavour here. Turn the other cheek, be kind to your enemies and all that. And I quite like the way Abraham Lincoln put it. He said, we should listen to our better angels. I think that's a good saying. In church, at work, at school, and especially at home, we will bump into each other. And in doing so, we will hurt others and be hurt them. Things will sting because we have sensitivities that may not be visible to others. And they may not be terribly caring or empathetic. When I went back from my school reunion, several of my tormentors had largely forgotten what they'd put me through, and the others avoided me. It was a bit of an anti-climax, really. I have learned along the way to take the opportunities to show kindness to those with whom I have a tricky relationship. And frankly, they get more prayer than people I am on good terms with. By quite a bit. This is, for me, what blessing my enemies looks like. I saw a stunning example of this a few years back. I knew an older man who'd been very tough on his son growing up. And he had abused that son's daughter and at least one other young person in the church. He disowned his son, so had nothing to do with him for many years. And then his wife died and he was on his own. His son and his partner returned home to look after his father, who I thought received far more mercy than he deserved giving up our claims to justice is critical. I think unforgiveness is acidic. It burns away the softness, leaving only the hard stuff left. The guy who wrote the book The Shack had this memorable thing to say. He said that forgiveness is like giving up our claim to justice and leaving the person to God. 
It's so freeing. Being around the Baptist world for a while, I've been involved in the odd church disagreement, and I was involved with one a few years ago in which one of the protagonists had been a very good friend, but he was a bit of a keyboard warrior. Do you know what I mean by keyboard warrior? I send you these rather acerbic emails. He gets stuck into me. Eventually, I blocked him. A few months after I left that church, I asked a neutral party to bring us together, and we were able to hear each other. Now, we cleared some stuff up, but in the end, we had to agree to differ on others. But we were able to shake hands. And when I've seen him since, it's been fine. I feel free, and so does he. Sometimes you can't do that, though. The person might be an ongoing threat to you, either emotionally or physically, or they've died. I have a cousin that was disinherited by her late father, so the relationship cannot be repaired, but the feelings are still there, doing their evil work. Isabel told us her story a while back of finding a way to express her anger towards her mum, identifying the harm done and the trauma suffered, and then being able to find a place of empathy for her mum. Remember, just take away what God is prompting you to do. This is not a stick to beat yourself with. It's like seed being given to the chooks. Take the bit or bits, no more than three, because then it becomes a stick, away with you today. These verses describe marks of the maturing Christian whose mind has re- been renewed and, been, and has been a living sacrifice. Listen to God. But, and it's a very big but, talk to someone who knows you well about what you think God might be saying to you. Use your connections, your relationships, your friendships to discern with you what God might be saying to you. Amen. Thank you for your kind attendance. If the musicians would come up, we're going to close with a song.